Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, I'm in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. The purpose of this program is to answer your questions about life using the Bible. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, well, Nathan. This evening we'll be discussing capital punishment, but if you have a question about any topic, please feel free to contact us. Capital punishment, also known as the death penalty, has been debated for centuries Wikipedia states that it's a government-sanctioned practice whereby a person is killed by the state as a punishment for a crime. Pastor, there are 195 countries in the world. 56 practice capital punishment. 103 have abolished it for all crimes. Six use it for just war crimes. And 30 have abolished it in practice. Those numbers alone show that capital punishment is controversial. Christians, as well as the secular world, have been divided over capital punishment. Should it be used? Why should it be used? And for what crimes should it be used? As we, start the program, as we started the program, I stated that the purpose of this program is to answer your questions about life using the Bible. So let's discuss capital punishment from a biblical perspective. Pastor, is capital punishment a biblical concept? I can answer that question in the affirmative. Um, first of all, if you go into the Old Testament, you'll find that there are at least 19 different crimes that could be committed where capital punishment could be administered. 19. 19. Uh, some people put them as 18, but normally it's, it's 19. Um, that list would include um, capital punishment for murder, attacking or cursing a parent, a person who was recalcitrant and disobedient to his parent, kidnapping, uh, failure to confine a dangerous animal, even though you know the animal was dangerous and it killed someone. Reprisal there was, was the death penalty. Witchcraft, sorcery, human sacrifice, uh, bestiality, that's sex with an animal, uh, doing work on the Sabbath, incest, adultery, uh, homosexuality, prostitution, blasphemy, uh, false prophecy, perjury of a capital offense, a capital case, refusing to obey a decision a judge or priest would make, and a false claim, uh, a person who claimed to be a virgin was not discovered to be discovered after mar- during marriage to not be a virgin. Uh, so there are actually 19 different offenses that drew the death penalty under the Old Testament law. Don't want to jump ahead of ourselves tonight, but 
if there's 19 offenses in the Bible, should we be using the death penalty for those similar offenses today? Well, it is uh, clear from when you come into the New Testament uh, that capital punishment is endorsed, uh, but is seen to be endorsed only for capital offenses in in the sense of, of murder. Remember that under the economy of law, uh, Israel was a theocracy, and therefore uh, there's no nation or will never be another nation that had the same relationship with God and had the same um, spiritual requirements of, as, as God laid down for that, that nation. There's no theocracy today. Um, so the application of the, the uh, capital punishment to those uh, 18 that were mentioned, or 19, depending on how you divide the, the verses, uh, are not applicable today. As a matter of fact, in our Lord's dealing with the woman at the well, the woman at the um, the cotton adultery, mm-hmm. clearly um, he did not endorse capital punishment for her uh, under the New Testament economy of, of um, grace. So there is a difference between living under law, living under theocracy, and living under grace, and living within a democratic system of totalitarian government. But I do believe that we should practice capital punishment uh, because for uh, for for murder, serious murder. I'm not talking about accidental homicide. I'm talking about deliberate, willful taking of human life, um, and that predates the law. So the 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 19 offenses that were mentioned under the economy of law. Uh, that was predated in Genesis chapter 9, where God gave government the right, who shed man's blood, by man's blood it should be shed. And also, we're told that that covenant was supposed to be a perpetual covenant, an eternal covenant for all generations. So it's not, taking life for murder is not something that existed only under law. It predated the law. And and clearly, uh, it's a principle that did not only relate to Israel, it was God sanctioning capital punishment for those who had violently taken life, especially innocent life. Are there any passages that specifically lay a basis or a groundwork for capital punishment? Well, I think the best passage that um, lays the foundation for capital punishment is actually found in uh, Genesis chapter 9 and uh, verse number 6. Uh, I would like to read that verse for the audience uh, who may not be familiar with it, or if they've got their Bibles, they might want to turn there. But in Genesis chapter uh, 9 and uh, verse 5 and 6, and says, Surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whosoever shed of man's blood, by man shall be shed. For in the image of God, man was made. And here is the basis for uh, taking um, the life of an individual who takes the life of another human being. The reason for capital punishment uh, is not even merely because it is perceived to be a deterrent or non-deterrent. The, the fundamental basis for it is the respect for human life and the value of human life. It, human life is so valuable that for someone to take another human being's uh, life by, by murder, we're not talking about accidental homicide, uh, God required life for life because of the value. Man was made in God's image, and to destroy God's image is actually an offense against God. So the, the stricture that's laid down uh, for capital punishment in terms of murder is uh, has to do with the value and the dignity and the worth of, of, of man.
Pastor, Wikipedia stated or states that it is a government-sanctioned practice. That's capital punishment. Is is it government-sanctioned or is it God-sanctioned? Well, don't forget that the Bible makes it quite clear in Romans chapter 13 that the government is a servant of God. God has delegated to government the exercise of capital punishment. Capital punishment must not be something that a private individual takes vengeance. Uh, It requires the, the legal framework within a civil government to actually take the life of another person. So that has been delegated to man, but man did not uh, invent capital punishment. This is something that God laid down as a principle uh, in order to honor the sanction of of human life. Uh, On August 2nd, 2018, the Pope and the Vatican stated, or they changed the catechism of the Catholic Church about the death penalty saying it can never be sanctioned because it attacks the inherent dignity of all humans. Let me start with, do all humans have that inherent dignity? All human beings being made in the image of God do have inherent dignity, but capital punishment cannot be inherently immoral because God commanded it. If God commands uh, capital punishment, uh, which pastor or pope or priest has the audacity to even suggest that it violates some high moral principles. God is the standard of morality, and he's the one that not only endorsed it, he's the one that authorized it. So to challenge uh, capital punishment on some moral basis is actually to challenge the character of God. So actually he's using the same argument to say it's wrong that Scripture uses to argue that it's the whole reason for capital punishment. Yeah, I think, um, like a lot of Christians today, a lot of churches, including the Pope and other uh, denominations, the influence of the culture, the spirit of the times, the thinking, the ideology that, that governs the world's views has somewhat infiltrated the church. Um, uh, you know, they're very, very few denominations and, and, and churches today <clears throat> that, that exclusively depend upon biblical principles and let that be the guiding standard by which they make judgments. Uh, we are too much influenced by psychology, sociology, anthropology, and uh, these are people who are always leading, uh, making statements contrary to the biblical viewpoint. But we as Christians and we as uh, evangelicals have got to hold to the biblical standard. Uh, That is where we get our faith from. That's where we get our practice from. And if God endorses something, uh, no man has the authority to in any way contradict what God has said. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 742 do you have a question for Pastor Murphy, uh, whether on this topic or another topic, feel free to contact us. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Again, if you'd like to call and be put live on the air, call 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 one four five four. Again, WhatsApp or text two six eight seven eight two one four five four. 
For those of you who are listening on AM or FM radio, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate those of you who are listening online and those who are watching on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us this evening. We're discussing capital punishment. Pastor, the Pope also said it is in its it is in itself contrary to the gospel because a decision is voluntarily made to suppress human life which is always sacred in the eyes of the Creator and of whom, in the last analysis, only God can be the true judge and guarantor. Again, we have been a, a problem that the Church has had throughout the ages, whether the Pope is the final authority or the Word of God is the final authority. When it all boils down to moral issues and spiritual issues, uh, we've got to decide who do we follow. Do we follow a fallible man called the Pope? Or do we follow the infallible Word of God? And clearly anyone that reads the book and allows the book to impress their minds and be guided by Scripture, uh, it's a directive that God given gave before the law. Uh, as a matter of fact, it came after the flood, and God made the Noah, Noah covenant, which was a perpetual covenant, and uh, he made it very, very clear that this was to be the purpose of government uh, to make sure that human life, the sanctity of human life, would be preserved and that capital punishment would be an enduring moral principle that would undergird the sanctity of human life and therefore it required taking life for those who commit a capital offense, especially deliberate, uh, premeditated murder. Is there ever a time that we should allow cultural norms and cultural principles to counteract what is in Scripture? I mean, we're supposed to be relevant. Yeah, yeah but relevancy doesn't mean that we violate uh, biblical principles that are perpetual. Uh, and that may be one of the sad mistakes of our time. In attempt to be relevant, we're actually undermining the credibility of the Bible and the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Scriptures. We are giving more weight to human opinion than we are given to, to uh, the Word of God and the fact that it's inspired. So we must, we can't help but be influenced by culture in certain directions. But when we have clear biblical principles, uh, we ought to allow those principles to guide us as opposed to the cultural opinions that come from men who, in most cases, are non-Christians, who may be intellectuals or very smart people. But when it comes to the issues of morality and spirituality, they are completely deficient, and therefore we should be guided by God's Word. How do we reconcile forgiveness, which is very clearly taught in Scripture? How do you reconcile that? And not only is it taught, it's also modeled by Jesus Christ. How do you reconcile forgiveness with punishing someone for a a large sin by uh, practicing capital punishment? Well, I don't think there's a, a, a disparity between the two, forgiveness and uh, capital punishment. A person can be forgiven who has committed a capital offense and still uh, be executed. So uh, forgiveness doesn't mean that you cancel debt or you cancel punishment. Um, for example, a, a guy who is a drunkard, he can be forgiven for sins, but he still suffers from the penalty and the consequences of his drunkenness. He still has sclerosis to deliver. Uh, he might other, have other, other, other issues. So uh, the idea that what uh, in this fallen world, uh, there must be forgiveness, but there also must be justice. 
And so we must not put the two of them as though they are enemies of each other. Uh, we've got to be able to deal with both of them at the same time, not sacrifice one at the expense of the other. We can have forgiveness and we can still have justice at the same time. So I don't see in any way that there's any real contradiction. If we, we, we make them a contradiction, but I don't see there's any problem there. You mentioned Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, I believe it was. Yeah. And there are lots of commands in the Old Testament that you and I do not apply to our lives in Antigua in 2018. So why in the world are we applying a passage from the Old Testament to our lives in 2018? Why? How are we able to pick and choose what we apply? Well, we are using that uh, because a lot of people think that capital punishment is only endorsed by the law, and it only came after the law was instituted under the Mosaic economy, but that's not true. As a matter of fact, and don't forget that there are covenants that God has made with man that are perpetual. One of those covenants is the covenant he made with Noah, that he will never once again send a flood to uh, destroy the whole world, and uh, he laid down certain guidelines and certain strictures. And this is one of the things that, uh, remember that Mosaic, Mosaic, uh, the Noahic covenant is a perpetual covenant. It would last forever. Uh, and one of the things that is part of that uh, Noahic uh, covenant is the institution of human government with the authority, civil authority, to execute judgment on those that commit uh, murder. So it is something that predated the law. It is something that is supposed to be perpetual as part of being the Noahic covenant. But that's not all. We got to come to the, when we come to the New Testament now, we find that uh, our Lord indirectly endorsed it. We find that Paul endorsed it as well. And even the thieves of the cross, they enjoy endorsed the legitimacy of capital punishment even on themselves. They said, we justly deserve this. So even even people who had committed a capital offense recognized that this is the law and uh, they were not being mistreated or being unjustly treated by being executed. They recognized that they had committed an offense worthy of capital punishment. We're the only generation that has become so um, unbiblical and become so soft and so sentimental and so psychological that we think that the perpetuation of physical life is the, the most absolute principle, but that's not so. Why is it that capital punishment has become so controversial. I mean, I know there's a lot of topics that are controversial in today's day and age, but why is this one so divisive? Uh, I think it's divisive to some extent because um, I think a lot has to do with uh, colonialism, has to do with racism, has to do with the, the, the historical past. Uh, I think also America's issue has become uh, a Caribbean issue. For example, uh, I think most people would know that a lot of people feel that the, the, the prisons in America, I forgot the percentage, there are far more blacks proportioned than there are whites. That's perceived as something that's unjust. Not necessarily so, but it's perceived that way. Then, of course, there have been cases where people have been executed and it's been discovered later that it was a false execution. It was, in other words, the evidence led in a different trail. Uh, so I think sometimes it's felt that because of the system is the the uh, judicial system is unjust, or it, there are elements in it that are clearly not um, impartial. That I think has carried over into the idea about capital punishment. Um, so, but I think that. Um, we in the Caribbean, 
we should not have those kind of issues. It's, it's not a, I mean, when, it, when justice is administered, at least I don't think that our people think it's either black or white. I think it is, uh, justice is really blind. It, I think people are treated uh, fairly before the, the justice system. Um, so I don't, I think that we have allowed a lot of non-Caribbean issues to color our impression on these matters. And consequently, we have embraced the sentiments expressed mostly in the States, especially black America. And I think that colors how we view capital punishment. I found it very interesting as I was doing some research on this topic that Caribbean islands, uh, I'm just going to list through them and list the year that they last used practice capital punishment. Antigua was 1991. Barbados was 1984. Dominica was 1986. Dominican Republic was 1966. Guyana, I know that's not an island, but uh, part of the Caribbean, it was 1997. Jamaica, 1988. St. Kitts and Nevis is the only one since the turn of the century, and that was in 2008. St. Lucia, was 1995. St. Vincent and the Grenadines was 1995. Trinidad and Tobago, 1999. Now, I know there's a lot of influence from bodies such as the UN that are pressuring Caribbean countries, Caribbean islands to to take capital punishment off the books, to no longer practice it. Is there any biblical principles that support a Universal or the the UN, mm. uh, a large governmental force, telling smaller governments what they can and can't do. This is one of the most fearful um, things that are happening today. Uh, the fact that we seem not we claim that we're independent, uh, we claim that we we uh, chart our own destiny, but increasingly you've got these multinational organizations. A tremendous influence that are actually trying to um, guide our social policy and now our legal policy. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, pressure is being brought to bear upon these small, vulnerable countries, especially the threat of economic boycott, etc., uh, etc., et so that a lot of the politicians uh, are forced almost to uh, kowtow to these um, multinational companies, uh, multinational organizations, uh, and these world organizations. And I think organizations like Amnesty International, Mm -hmm. the UN, uh, they do try to, they have a plan, and they have a policy, and they are trying to create a global village where everybody falls in line with their dictates. And I think this is a massive mistake for these small, vulnerable countries. I would hazard a guess that if you were to take the the reason why St. Kitts, by the way, mm. has become so stringent with, with this and, and, and have done this, because if you if you check the amount of murders in a small island like St. Kitts, something had to be done. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the, the military in St. Kitts have been given police powers almost to help to deal with this matter. It's a very, very serious problem. When people, um, murder becomes common in a country and the value of life goes down, uh, it would lead to the escalation of more murder and more murder. And this is where we must always maintain the possibility of administering the death penalty. If we don't do that, there's no fear 
of uh, reprisals or, or justice or, or retribution. Consequently, the Bible is very, very clear about this matter. It says, because judgment is not speedily executed against evil, the hearts of men are fully set to do evil. And we got to make sure that we don't create an environment where uh, the value of life becomes so insignificant that uh, uh, murder increases and escalates in a, in a country. I have a question that has come in from a listener in Antigua. Pastor, what about those in prison who get saved? If they were put to death, they may have never accepted Christ. How can a Christian put to death a soul that may have accepted Christ? Look, our choices <clears throat> have consequences, okay? That sounds like a very rational, reasonable uh, suggestion there. But there's also something called justice. Um, God demands of us, uh, demands of a, a human government, civil uh, authority, that they execute justice. I am not saying that there are not situations like that where, uh, as a matter of fact, I was reading sometime this week, where one of the reasons the death penalty was instituted in America was to bring about repentance. Now, I'm serious. I, I, I wish I could, I could bring the quote. Interesting. No, it was, it was designed that being put on death row, it would make the person reflect on the fact he's going out into eternity and that this would lead to a reevaluation of the choices he made, decisions. And the design was he would come to a point of, of repentance and faith, but he would still be executed. Yeah. It was not that he would not be executed. Uh, so while it might sound um, noble and sound very Christian to do that, uh, again, remember that decisions and choices have consequences. And because a person uh, gets converted in a jail who was on, on, on death row, and, and therefore we should not uh, execute um, capital punishment, we are violating the biblical principle. And there's no need to do that. Um, think about those who are not executed and the pain that the person who have endured, especially when you've had a very severe, brutal murder of a family or, or killing, and they live with the torment or a, a guy's in prison and the possibility of his escaping because uh, he's pursuing the other family members. Think of that as well. You've got to balance this whole thing and, and don't just look on one side of it. Um, it, it, it's good that people who are in death row would make decisions but again uh, justice is required and God uh, has mandated civil government to exercise the use of capital punishment in those cases where there's brutal murder and where there's not I'm not talking about accidental homicide now I'm talking about deliberate premeditated willful taking of life God says who takes man life in that way his life should be taken because uh, he is made in the image of God. The sanctity of human life is such that God requires life for life in cases where there are deliberate murder. But weren't there cities of refuge set up in the Old Testament? Was that as an alternative to capital punishment? No, don't forget that in the, in the, in the Old Testament in regard to the city of refuge, in case there was a person who had killed somebody inadvertently. See, manslaughter. Uh, yeah, and somebody was pursuing him like a family member. Um, God made a provision that that person could go to the city of rescue, re refuge, and until the priest had declared him innocent, he should not leave the city of refuge. Uh, but if he left the city of refuge and the avenger uh, caught him and killed him, 
it was considered the blood was on his sh- uh, head because he was to stay there until he was vindicated. And but so God made provision in the case of manslaughter, accidental homicide, but not for deliberate murder. So using that that logical progression in today's day and age, and we'll talk in a little bit about the inadequacies of the justice system, but in the case where an individual, where a criminal, a murderer, is let free because of a technicality in our judicial system, is it okay for a family member of the victim who was murdered to go and get vengeance? Well, again, remember we talk on the Old Testament law, on the economy of law, where Israel was a theocracy. Today, there's no theocracy. And don't forget, we're under grace. We're no longer under law, and we live under a democratic system. It's only under the theocratic system that the avenger was given that right. Uh, But clearly, that has changed. As As a matter of fact, if you come over to the New Testament now, uh, Paul says, revenge not yourself. God said, vengeance is mine. So it's not right for a believer or anybody to take personal vengeance. But that's why God has delegated that authority now to civil authorities to take life for life if it is shown clearly that this was a premeditated, willful murder. So the individual is, no, is not given that, that, uh, that um, responsibility. That has been delegated to civil government. Are there any, you mentioned in Genesis 9 where it was about Noah, are there any New Testament passages for those who are saying, I want you to back up capital punishment from the New Testament? Well, look, I think Romans chapter 13 is probably one of the best passages uh, in Scripture that really deals with this matter. And uh, the Apostle Paul in chapter 13, when he's dealing with the uh, Christian in relation to human government, um, he gives certain guidelines and principles as to on this matter, and uh, in Romans chapter one, chapter thirteen, I want to read what Paul says. He said, "Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resisteth shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil." Uh, Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. And uh, only until recently, every interpretation on this passage is, is recognizing that this is the ultimate authority given to government, the sword as a symbol to take life. Uh, and therefore, this is delegated to to uh, to civil government that they have the right to to use the sword, which is to take life if necessary. Uh, and this this is believed that this is the the uh, the delegation of capital authority for them to take uh, to take the life of a murderer. There's another interesting passage, by the way, that might be worth look. It's in Acts chapter 25, when the apostle Paul was standing before Festus. Uh, the Apostle Paul recognized the validity of the death penalty. Let me show you that in Acts chapter 25, in verses um, 10 to 12. Listen to what Paul says. Uh, He said, Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, and have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. See? 
So mm. Paul clearly recognized that if the government, the civil government, had uh, uh, made a crime, a capital crime, and he had committed that crime, Paul says, I have no problem uh, that I would have to die because I violated the crime established by civil government. So clearly, Apostle Paul had no problem with a capital offense. The other one, which I think is um, also interesting, is uh, in Luke chapter uh, 20. I think it's 25. Um, I could just find it very quickly for you there. In verse um, 41. Uh, oh, Luke chapter 20, um, 23, verse 41. Uh, this is the thieves on the cross. Uh, one of them said, And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man have done nothing. Here are two people dying, capital, dying for capital offense, and they're able to see the justice in what they've done that they're worthy of death. So there's no issue here. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, Jesus didn't debate that. He's there in the cross saying, you guys should not die. Uh, and these Roman soldiers or the Roman government is cruel and vicious and, and uh, insensitive and not loving. He never, they, they deserve exactly what they got. Never thought of that from that perspective. Uh, uh, yeah. But that, that that's what I'm saying to you, that if you were to read this, this and there are other things. For example, in John chapter um, 19, in one of the, the, the parables again, uh, the legitimacy of the king executing those who had uh, murdered the prophets, etc. Uh, Jesus endorsed that. Uh, there's nothing offensive or something unkind or unloving. We've become too sentimental in a lot of issues, and we have taken, uh, we've made, uh, as I have said from the pulpit many times, we have actually created a situation in the world that we have what we call sentimental love and not tough love. Love must be tough. And uh, sometimes tough love requires uh, taking harsh uh, penalties. We have a WhatsApp message that has come in from Antigua. The first murderer, Cain, was not executed. And even Jesus Christ did not command the stoning of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Would this show that the Bible opposes capital punishment? It doesn't show that the Bible opposes capital punishment, but there are also legitimate grounds for mercy. For example, in the case of Cain, uh, by the way, who would have who would have who would have killed Cain? Cain was his, uh, killed his brother, and it would be quite long before Cain would be executed. But again, uh, God exercised mercy in that case and extended a prolonged period of. Cain to do repentance, but of course Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, he built a city and uh, he, he lived he tried to find satisfaction outside of God within city life but that was an act of mercy uh, but again, that does not in any way cancel the covenant that God made in the Noahic covenant when God totally destroyed the entire world because it becomes so wicked. And by the way, one of the reasons it was destroyed is because the Bible says the imaginative man had become evil continually and violence filled the earth. Having seen the progression of man's depravity leading to the, the, the incident of the flood and requiring that the whole world start over again because it becomes so corrupt, God now instituted uh, capital punishment as a a perpetual uh, uh, matter for civil governments uh, because uh, no doubt that violence that filled the earth prior to the flood was a result that there was no 
penalties being executed. And God seemed to have actually put this in place as a preventative uh, to the use of violence and the use of cruelty. So I don't. the other one in connection with the woman at the well, again, if you read the passage very, very carefully, uh, number one, under the, under the law, for example, you require two or three witnesses, mm. right? In that case, the witnesses weren't there. Uh, number two, the reason why they brought the woman was not for justice. It was to trap him. Uh, if he said to set her free, you would blame him for violating the law. If he said executor, uh, he would then bring the, 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 the law of Rome against him because only the Roman government had the right for execution. So it, that you've got to understand the whole purpose of it in, in that regard. And then again, this was not a civil court. Uh, this was a, a mob trying to lynch a woman, as it were. And, and Christ uh, saw the irony of that, and therefore that's what he did. But we must not use those as examples, as a basis for the cancellation of capital punishment. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? He would love to answer your question from a biblical perspective. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 I'll give that to you again, WhatsApp or text, 268-782-1454. If you're on Facebook Live, you can just write it in the comments, and we will pass it along to Pastor Murphy so that he can answer it. If you would like to call and be put live on the air, we would love for you to do that. The number is 1-268-462-7420. Pastor can we say that evolutionary teachings are affecting what society thinks about capital punishment? And if so, how do we connect those dots? What would be some examples of how evolution is affecting man's view of capital punishment? Not only evolution, but today, secular humanism is the predominant philosophy that guides most political uh, leaders, etc. And remember, at the base of humanism is evolution, that there's no God that man is at the center of the universe. Man decides right from wrong. Uh, so it's not surprising. Evolution did away with God. Humanism has embraced evolution. So man is now at the center of authority. So it's not, man is no longer looking to biblical principles or a, a, a transcendent God uh, to guide them. Man is now operating on the basis of, of autonomy. Man is now his own God. Man is making his own rules. Man is not concerned about what God says before. So it's not surprised that we are at the stage we are at today because humanism, uh, secular humanism, is what is the predominant philosophy in the schools, in, in the, uh, the chambers of, of, of politics. And uh, so these are people who really are a law unto themselves. They are no longer guided by the moral principles of Scripture. So I think evolution has a lot to do with it because by doing away with God, and now humanism has embraced that, you can see how it's trickled down in every dimension of life. I get frustrated when I see news articles that talk about uh, I'm going to use the U.S. for an example, but someone being put in prison for many years for killing an endangered eagle, but yet people can abort their baby, a living human being, and not be be punished. How how do we balance that confused? Uh, we are living in a world of moral confusion. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. Light is darkness, darkness light. 
uh, bad is good, good is bad, basically. We got moral inversion in our society. Uh, and again, it, it all goes back to what are the principles that govern a nation. Uh, we're now living in a secular age. We, we used to live under a, a, a Christian consensus at one time. I think everybody knew at one time, even in my lifetime, when I was a young guy, everybody knew what was right or wrong. Nobody would ever question what marriage was, whether homosexuality was right or wrong. Everybody knew those things were wrong. But today we've got these social scientists who have now uh, become the, uh, the high priests of the secular world. And they're the ones that are, are now coming up with all kinds of specious excuses for these kind of immoral practices. So it's not surprising that this moral inversion that we're faced with, uh, you, if you kill an egg, if you destroy an egg of an eagle, you can be fined considerably, might even put in jail. But you can take an innocent ch- child uh, in the womb and you can destroy that child and there are no consequences. Now, if that isn't confusion, I don't know what it is. If that's a moral inversion, I don't know what it is. So the, the egg of the eagle is more valuable for what reason? Again, we mu- we're now worshipping Mother Earth. We're not worshipping the God of the universe. So uh, we've got to preserve Mother Earth, etc., etc. If our main concern, or our primary concern, was to worship the God of the Bible and the God of truth, and we were designed to live according to his principles, we would understand that an eagle's life can never be the value of a human life. And uh, But that gives you an idea of how we become so secularized and so anti-Christian, so anti-Judaistic as well, that we are living in a completely uh, neo-paganistic world, basically, uh, that is no longer governed by Christian principles. So that's why we have this this, this confusion. Why do you think it is that secular society can fight for the life of a murderer on death row, but can throw away the life of an innocent, completely innocent child Mm -hmm. that has not been born? Because from the secular world, uh, life does not begin at conception. They believe that life is only viable when it comes out of the womb. From a Christian perspective, we know that life begins at conception. So for but us, you can hear the heartbeat before the child is born. But again, it is inconvenient okay. f- uh, for a lot of people who want an abortion. Uh, remember, abortion is basically uh, a matter of trying to keep down the population. It is trying to uh, decrease poverty. Uh, all of these um, non-biblical um, arguments that are used, but behind a lot of it has to do with it's, it's inconvenient. Here I am going to college. I had a party last night. I slept with a guy. Then within a, a month, I discovered that I missed my period. Therefore, I'm pregnant. Uh, I, I can't sacrifice my career. So therefore, I get rid of this thing called a protein blob within the womb. I just heartlessly get rid of it. Again, if Christians and ministers of the gospel would once again get back to really t- preaching serious ethical issues like when does life begin when last you heard a preacher preach on conception is when life begins the the voice of god is so silent because we are dealing with subjects that are virtually all designed to make us feel good it's all about entertainment it's all about when i leave the church uh, man that was a good message when you ask them a week later what how did it help well it just made me feel good I think we've got to get back to really 
preaching the word and really dealing with, with, with modern current issues and, and get away from the idea that we want to tickle people's ear. I think the church used to be the moral conscience of a nation. It is no longer the moral conscience of a nation because it has now geared its ministry towards entertainment and getting claps and getting laughter and uh, getting likes on uh, Facebook. Uh, yeah, but not really concerned about moral issues and, and, and standing up for truth. You're listening to That's Truth. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? We'd love for you to WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, earlier in the discussion, we referenced that the human justice system has some inadequacies. Let's talk about that for a while. Well, I, I can't speak about the Antiguan or the Barbadian justice system. I don't. Uh, I haven't heard many complaints about that, although I do have a Christian brother that I wish I could bring on the program and, and discuss his situation and let the public know that, in my judgment, there seems to be some inequity going on, and I really think that justice is not being administered to my brother. He's a Christian brother, and I think that um, what I'm hearing and what I've been told and the way that it's being dealt with, it breaks my heart. I, I actually sent him to the ombudsman to try to get some kind of help and he was virtually told that there was nothing they could do. Now, I think any reasonable person that would hear his case and understand what's been happening, and now this whole thing has been so reversed that I cannot... It's almost comical when I heard that what the lawyers are now saying in connection with my brother. I'm saying that because if there's any good lawyer, Christian lawyer on the, on the air who's listening to what I'm saying, I really would appreciate if you could... Uh, be open to hear his case and understand what is happening because I really think it's unjust what is happening. But I'm not a lawyer. I can't deal with those matters. But I would like to ventilate his case if he would give me permission even to ha bring him on here if it was possible. But that's another matter altogether. Um, in the American justice system, um, there are some systematic uh, problems uh, systemic problems within the system that have been pointed out, especially in relation to capital offense. Uh, I, I, I was able to identify eight of them. Um, one has to do, sometimes the eyewitnesses make errors in, in, the, in, in, in matters like this. Uh, second has to do, sometimes a confession is coerced uh, by lawyers uh, to, to strike a deal. Sometimes there are prosecutorial uh, misconduct, the way the lawyers conduct the case. Uh, it's also said that there are sometimes racial disparities uh, in terms of how um, people are treated in, in the system. Again, I am not there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying what is what's being raised. Then, of course, there's incompetent counsel. And that is where the lawyer doesn't properly advise the person who is uh, being tried for capital offense. And then the other one is the matter of um, inadequate instruction uh, to the jury, and sometimes you do get those cases reversed. Uh, as far as what has happened in the first decade of the 21st century, there were 258 wrongfully convicted people uh, who were exonerated. Of those who were exonerated, 20 of those were serving death sentences. That's a 7%. Uh, so it would seem that there are people who have... Um, been executed, and wrongfully so. But and wouldn't this, that in itself be enough reason to no longer uh, put people to death? Because you may be, uh, was it 7% you said? 7%. Yeah. So every... 7% uh, of the 258, I mean, the, of those who were 
uh, exonerated. Oh, but we're, we're not talking it. about those. Uh, okay. The total is like 0.00%, oh. basically uh, okay. 1%. But the, the, what I would like to say here is that um, I am for capital punishment for murder that can be proven and that was deliberate and intentional. I'm not for capital punishment for manslaughter or an inadvertent homicide. I'm talking about people who commit awful, deliberate crimes. Um, I don't want to get carried away with this, uh, the recent two murders here in Antigua. Mm. I've, um, and I don't know the full ramifications of the case, but what I've heard, certainly this seemed to be a deliberate act, right? Right, And a case like that, um, I would think that, not I think, that would be right and proper for capital offense. Yeah. But there are other cases where a person might, might kill somebody, but it's not deliberate, it's not intentional. I'm not talking about those kind of cases. I'm talking about a person who comes into your home deliberately into pursuit of you in order to kill you. Or you get into an argument with a guy and he goes home and comes home with a cutlass or he comes back with a knife or a gun and he deliberately takes your life. I'm talking about those deliberate acts um, of murder. Pastor, we have a question that has come in from a listener in Antigua. Do you think that if capital punishment, that is a practice of a country, should be enforced more, it might just discourage many from serious crimes that end up hurting a life? Well, there's no doubt that capital punishment is a deterrent. Uh, I've heard all the arguments, but there are not there are specious arguments. There, there are examples and there are studies that confirm the benefits of capital punishment and that it does uh, deter. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether it be a psychologist, sociologist, anthropologist, whether it be a doctor, lawyer, it doesn't matter. In this, The Bible makes it clear in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 12 to 13, that capital punishment is a deterrent. So uh, the, the argument doesn't carry any weight with me. When God speaks and God says it's a deterrent, it's a deterrent. Whether uh, the lawyer says it or the, the psychologist says it, it doesn't matter. It's a deterrent. Um, so to my mind, um, I do feel that the reckless way in which life is being taken, and I think we're becoming greatly concerned in the Caribbean. You know, in Jamaica, every year about 900 people are, are murdered. Trinidad is now very close to that. Trinidad was, <laughs> that's the thing, Trinidad is almost becoming like Jamaica. St. Kitts, I, I don't have the statistics on, on my fingers, but if you compare the population of St. Kitts vis-a-vis other Caribbean islands, the amount of murders in St. Kitts is, in terms of proportion of the population, is, is just out, I mean, it's staggering mm-hmm. what is happening in St. Kitts. And that is why I think the government has given the, the, uh, the soldiers uh, almost police powers to try to bring that under control. I think as we go on in life in the Caribbean and we begin, get a weak judicial system and we become very sentimental in, in this regard and, and uh, we, we, we cancel capital punishment, uh, I think you're going to see the increase in crime, the increase of capital crime, I think that's going to increase. The book of um, is very clear. Because judgment is not speedily executed against evil, the hearts of men are fully set to do evil. I think that's a biblical principle, and I think it applies across the board. It's something very relevant for our times. But I do believe that if we were to enforce capital punishment for those deliberate, willful, atrocious acts of murder, um, I do believe that it will have an impact. 
As a matter of fact, I will tell you this. I feel that hanging is a deterrent if it was done publicly. Uh, I am a pastor. I'm a Christian. I love people. But I do believe that um, those kind of things need to strike fear in people's heart. We are living in a society where we've put so much emphasis on love that the emotion of fear is almost disappeared. And we need to restore uh, a healthy fear as well with a biblical love. Um, we, if we just emphasize one without the other, we have an imbalance in society. I want to discuss, and I understand that you're saying the Bible is the final answer and the Bible states that uh, it's a deterrent. But I want to uh, talk about statistics for just a minute here. Uh, you stated that it cl- statistics clearly show that there that it is a deterrent. Uh, from an article online at The Conversation, uh, let me just read a quote for you, and then you can respond with any statistics that you have. It says, With zero evidence that the death penalty provides any tangible benefits and very clear indications that its monetary, human, and social cost This is one program which there can be little debate that it costs undeniably outweigh any possible benefits. Obviously, this source is vehemently against the death penalty, against capital punishment. Do you have any statistics that would speak otherwise? Yeah, look, we can use statistics to prove anything. But let me give you some raw data that should help people to uh, be more objective on this matter. During the 10-year period, 1967 to 1977, when capital punishment was outlawed in America, the murder rate almost doubled. It went from 10,000 in 1967 to 19,000 in 1977. Within 10 years, the murder rate had increased. As executions declined in America, murder rate increased. In 1975, there were 75, 76 executions. The amount of murders was 7,000. In 1960, there were 56 executions. The murders were 8,000. In 1972, there were no executions and there were 18,000 murders. In 1978, there were no executions and there were 19,555 murders. The statistics, if you just look at the raw statistics, indicates very clearly that there's a linkage between um, capital punishment and the reduction in murder. Once uh, capital punishment is done away with, the murder rate increases. So clearly, uh, contrary to whatever statistics may be used by the left or or by <coughs> or by people who are uh, rationalists or humanists or uh, supposed to be um, um, Christian in some sort, uh, clearly the evidence is against that. <coughs> There's another <coughs> interesting study. <coughs> That was done by a guy called Isaac Ehrlich. He's at the University of Chicago. Now, he's a guy who opposes capital punishment. But he did a, a, a very thorough study. And from his study, the conclusion was reached that for every execution, it prevented eight murders from happening. So there's a link there from his studies that if every execution would save nine lives, basically. There's another study that <coughs> said that he had uh, gone off score by a factor of eight. And the other study showed that for every execution, at least uh, 50 lives were saved. Wow. So so the idea that it doesn't it doesn't, um, it doesn't um, 
it's not a deterrent, is, is actually a, a false case that is being raised. Let me mention one other thing that I thought was very, very telling. Uh, one guy pointed out that the underworld thinks that murder is a te- deterrent, and it applies the principle ruthlessly. And of course, that's what it means, the mafia. If you cross the mafia, it means your death. And uh, people fall in line as a result of that. So if you look at it uh, negatively in that aspect, it is a deterrent. There's no question about that. The mafia uses it because they know it's the best deterrent out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a quote from uh, Nasi Mokan, an economics professor at the University of Colorado at Denver. Uh, This professor did a study in 2003 until 2006 and found that that each execution results in five fewer homicides and commuting a death sentence means five more homicides. The results, and this is a direct quote, the results are robust. They don't really go away, he said. I oppose the death penalty, but my results show that the death penalty deters what am I going to do to hide them? So even though he had uh, was opposed to it personally, he still his study found that the death penalty does well, well, deter. Thank God there's still some honest people out there that yeah. are not, not Christians <clears throat> who are not going to be misled uh, by sentiment and who look at the real facts and come to the real conclusions. And it's admirable that he is so objective, even though he himself was against the death penalty. I got a quote that I'd like you to respond to, Pastor. A better way to address the problem of homicide is to take the resources that would otherwise be wasted in operating a death penalty regime and use them on strategies that are known to reduce crime, such as hiring and properly training police officers and solving crimes. Well, look, I, I don't think the, the amount of money that's spent on a death what, what what expression was used? Death something regime? Uh, yeah, operating a death penalty regime. Uh, no, there's, uh, it's, the, it's the lawyers that, that make this thing so prolonged because I think you have to at least, I think in America it's about three different uh, appeals you could make before the, and sometimes it goes on for years. So it's, it's actually lawyers that create this waste in terms of uh, what it requires to keep people in prison for so long who ought to be executed. So I, I, don't, I don't buy that. I don't think the resources uh, can be used in a different way. I just think what we want is justice. And justice is not just our remedial work. It requires uh, punitive um, results in addition to remedial work that needs to be done. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? Send it in via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454, or you can call, be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Pastor Murphy, a WhatsApp question from a listener in Antigua. In Leviticus, when the law ordered the death penalty for certain serious offenses, judges were to be devout men and were held accountable to God himself. This was a safeguard against the abuse of the death penalty. How can Christians support a government that does not fear the Lord to properly use capital punishment? Very good question. Well, I don't know if uh, only Christians can make just decisions. I I think that is a mistake. Um, I do feel that in spite of the fact that there are people who are not Christians, I do think that they follow the law and uh, follow the proper legal principles and proper legal order. 
and again, remember that the Bible says that the government is ordained of God. God has delegated this responsibility to the government, not just to Christians or to priests, etc., etc. So um, I don't think there is a, a necessary clash there. I just think we need to understand that we're not living on a theocracy as the Old Testament. We are now living in a democratic system. Some people live in totalitarian, uh, under totalitarian regimes. But it is very, very clear that we are mandated as Christians in Romans chapter 13 and also in the book of Peter. We're told that we're supposed to obey the government, live under the government, respect the rule of law and order. And uh, if they do something unjust... Uh, we are not responsible for their injustice. God would hold them accountable. Our responsibility is to be obedient to the government and live within the legal system that, we're, um, that we live under. Uh, so I don't have a problem following and obeying the rules and regulations that a government might, um, might impose, as long as those rules and regulations does not violate clear biblical principles. Pastor, for my research this afternoon, it is my understanding that previous to a ruling in 2001 here in Antigua, this phrase was used, whosoever is convicted of murder shall suffer death as a felon. That was in the, on the books. Again, that was overturned in 2001. But is it biblical for all murderers to face the death penalty? I do feel that there are extenuating circumstances where uh, the... The um, mercy can be exercised, but again, that's at the discretion of the authority. Sometimes governors can do this. Um, I do feel that that's a, there's a biblical precedent for that. For example, Cain was mentioned that the, the Lord spared Cain's life. Uh, uh, um, the other one that comes to mind, of course, was, was David. Um, David should have been executed after he committed sin with Bathsheba and then he murdered his wife. In those cases, the prerogative, God had the prerogative. And I do feel that there are times when the governor or the prime minister, like the president of America, can commute a sentence when they look at the totality of the case and they want to exercise mercy. I do feel that that should be at the discretion. However, again, I repeat, for those deliberate, willful, atrocious acts of murder. I do feel that execution is the proper form of justice. But I would not in any way uh, revolt if uh, circumstances or the situation became known that might have led to the act and where the governor or the prime minister or whoever would like to exercise mercy in that case. I think he has a legitimate right to do that because they have been delegated with that kind of authority. We have a text message that has come in from Antigua. Does life imprisonment equal capital punishment according to Scripture, since under the law it's life for life, and under grace Christ said to forget? Again, let's not confuse what is for the church and what is for the government. Hmm. The government has been given the right to use the sword. I mean, let's not make one Bible verse contradict another Bible. We're dealing with two different things, okay? Uh, for example, there are people who say, well, you turn the other sheet cheek. And, uh, you know, the uh, Bible says, I even I had a two foot, but I say unto you. That has nothing to do with civil matters. That has to do between private matters, between people who are in the kingdom of God, how we deal with people within the kingdom of God. So to take that and transpose that into, to make it what the government should do, is actually misapplication of Scripture. 
So personal matters, I, I, I should turn the cheek, you hit me, whatever it is, rather than to, 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 you know, hit you back. Uh, it's talking about being in the kingdom of God. You're so transformed by the Spirit of God. You're not apt to take vengeance. You're more apt out of love. But that does not apply to civil society where you're dealing with people who are not Christians, people who are bent in an evil way and totally depraved. They don't have the Spirit of God within them. So uh, I think we're dealing with apples and pears. You're dealing with two different things here. And by the way, could I say this? This is this is the confusion today, that the, the 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 people are not using the proper approach to the interpretation of scripture. Uh, pacifists, for example, use uh, the Sermon on the Mount that you shouldn't, a uh, country shouldn't uh, go to war, go for the war, or have defense mechanisms, or have a strong military. Again, it's the misapplication. The Bible has nothing to do with uh, civil society or, or governmental. A government has a right to defend its people and to protect its people. So it ought to have the military and as strong a military as it can afford. And if th- there is such a thing as a just war as well. So, but there are people today who take uh, what relates to the kingdom of God, uh, believers' lives, and within the church, and they try to apply, apply that to civil society. And we always end up with false interpretations. That listener brought up the topic of life imprisonment. What are your thoughts from a biblical standpoint? Again, not to take scripture out of context, but is life is a life prison sentence without the chance of parole? Is that a biblical substitute for capital punishment, or is capital punishment still the best option in those extreme, heinous situations? Look, I think justice requires capital punishment for the deliberate, willful murder of another human being. Okay? I think that is the only proper form of justice for people who have done that. And again, it's not a matter of vengeance. It's a matter of justice. And the reason why God called for it is because man is made in the image of God. You have to value the sanctity of life. And, uh, and uh, if you are negligent in the use of the capital punishment for these deliberate acts of, of homicide, you are devaluing human life. And it will be seen in the amount of crime that increases over a period of time. Uh, so I think we need to be very, very, very careful in that regard. I, I do feel that there are cases where um, you might want to put a person on uh, life without parole. But again, it, it depends on the, the act that was committed. Uh, but where you have willful, deliberate, premeditated, brutal murders, um, I am for capital punishment for those people. Should there be a different value applied to different human lives, different stages, the elderly, those that are in their prime of their life, an unborn child? Should there be different values put on those lives as far as it comes to capital punishment in that discussion? Uh, I, I wouldn't say in regard to capital punishment, but I would say in relation to the medical profession. For example, you take a doctor. He has a choice to make. Does he save the child or save the mother? Mm. Uh, in a case like that, in my judgment, he should save the mother. Uh, if it comes to that kind of a choice, she can make another child, but a child can't make another mother. And I do feel there's a precedent for that in the Bible, where if a man wounded a woman who's pregnant, uh, if the woman died, it was life for life. But if the child had died, there was some 
recourse to a financial reward. So I do think there's a fine distinction made there in that regard. So I can't speak in regard to uh, any person uh, that deliberately take human life, whether it be, um, and, and this is where I, I think the, the system is so unjust. You've got innocent babies, nine months, eight months, that are being ripped from the wound uh, by doctors. Uh, there are more murderers, I've said, outside the prison than there are in the prison because there are a lot of doctors who have blood on their hands because they've deliberately taken human life. There are a lot of nurses who've also got blood on their hands. The, the, the injustice of, of taking innocent life, uh, it, it pains me to think about it, that we've come to the point where because of, it's so inconvenient to give birth to a child that we think we could just uh, slaughter the child and there are no consequences for it. You ever read the book of Revelations where it says there are no murderers yet? That ever bothered you? It, it, it makes it very, very clear that there will be far more murderers in the Day of Judgment than we actually think about. And it's significant that that's one of the, the categories that are mentioned in the book of Revelation that will stand before God. Are there any biblical principles or verses that come to mind that make you think that God uh, treats one murder as more serious than another? Uh, again, not to spend the whole time talking about abortion, but in God's eyes, do you believe that killing an innocent unborn child is more serious than killing uh, someone who uh, has murdered one of your family members? Well, let me put it this way. What, if, what would you think of me if I lived near a house and I knew that there was someone in there murdering children that were one year old? I knew it. I deliberately knew that there was a person in there murdering an uh, innocent one-year-old child or just born, but I know as soon as they came out of the womb, they were either being injected, their heads were being chopped off, or they were doing somehow um, being atrociously killed. What would you think of me knowing that? And I did nothing about it. I said nothing about it. Uh, as opposed to Somebody, um, I got a grandmother who's 80 years, 90 years old, somebody coming to the house and, and kill her. I make a, a big hurrah about this whole matter, and I, I'm pushing this whole matter that they kill my grandmother, they kill my grandmother. She's 80 years old. She's gone past the three score and 10. But what about the innocent child who's one year old and I say nothing? If you were, if you could just, for just a moment, and it might be difficult, project your mind and how, how God would think about that. Here's a child with, who has a full life, 70, 80 years ahead. Uh, a grandmother who's 80, who made uh, time maybe back uh, next two years. But I, I am so callous towards this potential human being with so much life. But I am so offended by this one who's died, who just have a few years to go. I, can, I think you can see the, um, the disparity between the two. And in my sense of humanity... I would be more greatly pained that this person knew and did nothing than uh, the person who would die. I don't know if you see where, where I'm coming yeah, from. Yeah. I'm just saying that this the whole system of morality is inverted in this modern world. So should we be practicing, in a, in a biblical world, should we be practicing capital punishment for abortion? Never thought of that one. What I would say that the person who deliberately takes the life of an innocent baby does deserve uh, the death penalty. 
uh, if we took things as seriously as they should. This is a deli- now. If you you can only see that if you understand that this is life that is being taken. If you don't see it as life, you would think that Pastor Murphy is being harsh. But can there be anything more despicable than a mother who has given, uh, <clears throat> who has allowed herself to conceive of a child? and then is willing at the final stage of the child to rip that child apart, whether by suction, uh, whether by uh, using a knife or some kind of a, a means of destroying the child. That's a deliberate act of murder. And that's what abortion is. Abortion is not getting rid of some protein blob in the child. It's getting rid of a person. Right? And murder, deliberate murder, ought to carry the, the capital effect, especially when it's so deliberate. In Britain, in the 17th and 19th century, there was a legal system in which more than 200 offenses, many of them petty, were punishable by death. Does a country have the right to use the death penalty for petty crimes such as pickpocketing, cutting down trees, shoplifting? Does the Bible give a country that authority? Look, the the Bible has outlined... um, under the Old Testament, what were the 18 uh, capital offenses? Uh, man uh, should live within the the, the, the guidelines of the, of the Scriptures. But again, as I pointed out, we no longer live in a theocracy. So what we are left with today is both in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 13, the book of Peter as well, which talks about this whole matter of the government have the right to punish. We are left basically today with the whole matter that a person should be executed if they commit a deliberate act of murder and is a premeditated act of murder. That's the only thing I think which, that we can say that the Bible sanctions as far as a government is concerned. These are the petty little things that people are prefer to be so severe. Shows you that clearly that there is a disparity between uh, God's value of the sanctity of human life and these other uh, subspecies, as it were, whether it be uh, a tree, a plant, whether it be a, a eagle, whatever it is. Uh, the only safe uh, procedure is to be governed by what God said in His Word, and as far as what He says today, today has to do with taking the life of the person who has deliberately, premeditatedly uh, taken the life of another human being. You're listening to That's Truth. We've got 16 minutes left in the program. Go ahead and send in your questions to Pastor Murphy. If you're on Facebook Live, you can send them in in the comments section. If you are listening, you can send them in via WhatsApp or text. And that number is 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text your question to 268 268- 7821454 or if you'd like to call and be put live on the air you can send your question or you can call the phone number 2684627420 again to be put live on the air 2684627420 thank you very much to each of you who have been in interactive with us this evening Pastor, I have a couple of arguments against the practice of capital punishment that I want to run by you sure. so that you can give a biblical perspective. Capital punishment wastes limited resources. I think that's referring to the, the drawn-out legal process, which, at least in America, can often take decades to actually 
uh, finally put a person to death? Uh, that may be that may be so, but again, what you want in 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 terms of you want justice, okay? And sometimes justice is too prolonged. I agree with that. And maybe the judicial system need to be looked at. Uh, sometimes there's a backlog of cases that uh, people on remand for so long, and by the time the case comes up, they only spend maybe a month in jail or whatever it is. So I do feel that the governments need to look at that and, and try to have justice executed more speedily. Again, they go back to Ecclesiastes, which warns us that if we delay justice, uh, the hearts of men are fully set to do evil. So we need to make sure that it's executed as speedily as possible. But at the same time, uh, we want to make sure we do the right thing and make sure that all the um, witnesses, whatever, all the evidence uh, against the case, especially in capital punishment. So it might take some time, but I don't think it's a use, um, waste of resources. I think we, a person who, you have to have somebody really brutally murdered to really understand the, the pain and the anguish that that person has to live through. So it's not fair to just do, um, make your decision basically on the fact that resources seem to be wasted in the legal process. Capital punishment is cruel and unusual punishment. Again, I pointed out to you that um, capital punishment cannot be intrinsically immoral because God mandated it. Okay, God, God. So, but what about the Ten Commandments? That clearly says, "Thou shalt not kill." Again, uh, it goes back to the interpretation there. If anyone would would do a study of the, of the Ten Commandments, that word is not "thou shalt not kill," "thou shalt not murder." That's what the word means. But isn't murder for the government to put someone to death? How can that be murder? Because God has delegated that as a responsibility. That's justice. That's not murder. Okay. For example, you go to war, you kill somebody. That's not murder. Uh, that is defense of your country, and uh, um, all all killing is not murder, but all murder is killing. Two different things altogether. See, so the, uh, your defense—you have a right in the Bible to defend your home and your property. A guy comes into your home, that's using the Book of Leviticus, and you uh, defend your home and you kill him. That's not murder. That's defense. So we must not. The problem with people is that. Uh, they don't study the scriptures properly and understand the the application of the scripture, and they take one passage out of context and apply it within another context that has no relevance to the matter at hand, creating massive confusion within the minds of people who uh, themselves are not Bible students. You mentioned having someone come into your home, and that just made me think of a, a hypothetical ethical situation. If you're held at gunpoint in your home, and the rest of your family is in another room, and the person with the gun to your head says, is there anyone else in the home? Is it ever appropriate to lie? I guess that's my question. Is it ever acceptable to lie? Uh, because you could be protecting their life uh, if you if you s distract him or tell him that others aren't there. <laughs> you know, it's funny that when I did an ethics course at... at uh Bob Jones, I remember Dr. Custer uh, taught me um, biblical ethics, and there was a lot of debate about um, in the case where you parted secret service as a Christian, or you were protecting homeland or protecting your country, and that was that was brought up. And I don't remember having any clear uh, directive given on that. I think it'd be left to the individual. Uh, I, Lying is, 
if you're coerced to lie, uh, lying is always wrong in that regard. But I think it's a matter of conscience. I, 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 I don't know what I would do in a case like that. I probably would say nobody is there. I'd be very honest with you, and I would get right with God afterwards, right? <laughs> but uh, if I thought that, um, if I thought that, like, like I could protect my family mm-hmm. in a case like that where I'm, I'm under threat of, of whatever it is. Uh, now, if that's a different thing. But the guy said, "Do you believe the gospel?" And I would not deny the gospel. But I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about saving somebody else's life. I would be inclined to misrepresent the facts. I would prevaricate. <laughs> I, I guess it, the passage that comes to mind, and I don't think we discussed this last What's week that? when we discussed uh, difficult passages, but Rahab yeah. is often argued that God blessed her lies. Would you agree with that statement? No, he didn't bless a lie. He blessed a faith. Okay. okay. Because remember, read the book of Hebrews by faith. Uh, she hid the spies. Uh, again, it's like God blesses our faith, and there's a lot wrong with us. But he doesn't. He doesn't bless us because we tell lies. Uh, but she was motivated by the fact that she knew that Israel was coming to to take over the land, and God had actually given the land to them, and all the victories that she had seen happen prior to that. So therefore, she concocted this story. But God didn't bless it because she lied. God blessed it because. She, and by the way, uh, here you've got a people coming out of Egypt, people in the in the desert. Uh, and uh, they're coming into a, a country. They have no arms, basically, very limited arms. Uh, they have whatever weapon they've got. You've got these def- these cities strongly defensed, especially places like Jericho with walls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It took tremendous faith to believe that uh, people who are coming out of slavery without any weaponry could actually conquer uh, a city that was so secure with walls of Jericho. So it was an act of faith. Especially a, just by walking around. Just around, <laughs> yeah. Uh, another argument that I came across against capital punishment that I'd like you to respond to, persons who commit murder and other crimes of personal violence often do not premeditate their crimes. Well, again, I, uh, what, what we're calling for capital punishment has nothing to do with accidental homicide. This is what the person is talking about. Uh, most, uh, As a matter of fact, uh, 75% of people who kill somebody else is done out of passion. And a lot of it has to do with a family member or close acquaintance. But we're not talking about uh, capital punishment for those kind of crimes. We're talking capital punishment for premeditated, deliberate, atrocious act of murder. That's what we're talking about. And one other uh, response. Well, we have a caller from Nevis. And go ahead. Thank you for calling. That's true. Good evening. Good evening, sir. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus had a comment to the Pharisees mm-hmm. because they said that his disciples were not washing their hands before they eat bread, therefore they were transgressing the tradition of the elders. But he said, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God? by your traditions for God commanded saying honor your father and your mother and he that cursed father or mother let him die the death we know in the law he says if a person curses father or mother they should be put to death or if he beat his mother or his father they should be put to death yeah 
now and also in Romans chapter 1 there are little things that been put down there coming down to the end of the chapter in chapter 1 of Romans mm -hmm. and Paul says do they that do these things worthy of death. are worthy of death yeah. not only do them but have pleasure right. in them that do them what is your take on that? Well, I think it says exactly what it what it means there. Uh, in the case of um, Matthew chapter 15, um, our Lord is drawing to the attention of these people that they were supposed to honor their parents. And one of the excuses that they were using is that rather than honor their parents by helping them financially, they would take the gift that they should have honored their family parents and they were giving it to the, uh, the temple and calling it Koban or a gift. And what they were using, they were using religious as an excuse for the obligation to their parents. That's what uh, the, that whole passage is about. Uh, so, in, in the one in, in, in Romans, uh, clearly all of those 19, there are 19 of them that are mentioned in Romans chapter 1, all of these are things that are worthy of death. There's no question about that. So, as far as God's mindset is concerned, these kind of sins are worthy of capital punishment. So there's, there's no dispute about that. So man, all men are guilty before God. But what we must not do is to take this now and transpose that and to talk about civil government and the right that God has delegated to civil government to execute capital crimes. Because clearly in Romans chapter 13, uh, we're told that the government, which is God's servant, are ordained of God, that they have a right uh, to use a sword if necessary. So we must not confuse our obligations here in, in um, Matthew chapter 15, dealing with our obligations to our family. And uh, it is true that under the law, a person who did not honor his parents and uh, would curse his parents or was recalcitrant and rebellious, the parent would bring the person out and the elders would stone them. God's attitude towards that hasn't changed. But his dealings with it, uh, we're now in a different dispensation of grace. So he, uh, while his, those people are still worthy of death, by the way, uh, a person who is recalcitrant, rebellious, uh, dishonored appearance, as far as God's is concerned, the sanctity of the home and the respect for the family is still there. And they are worthy of death, but no longer is that penalty required because they're no longer under, under the law. So his, his attitude hasn't changed to people who maintain that attitude towards their parents. But that is, must not be confused with the delegated responsibility given to civil authorities to execute capital punishment on uh, people who commit murder. So I don't see any disparity between the two or any contradiction whatsoever uh, because they are worthy of death and God doesn't execute judgment in chapter Romans chapter 18, uh, Romans chapter 1. Uh, that does not conflict with the delegate authority given in Romans chapter 13. We're dealing with two different things. Thank you very much. For um, Go ahead real quick. We've got one minute left. Okay. Now, these things that are punishable by death, even if the government doesn't execute punishment upon them, it still is that they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, if you read uh, Corinthians chapter 6 as well, there's certain sins that are mentioned that these people who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to understand that a believer who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, 
Paul, uh, John makes it clear in his epistle that he that is born of God does not continually practice sin. So one of the indications a person is truly born of God and really a, sa a saved person is that he would have victory over his, his sin and especially the predominating sin that once controlled his life before he became a Christian. He should have victory in that area. If he's not experiencing victory and he continues to live in sin, that may be a very clear sign that he has made a bogus profession of faith. I don't know if that helps you. Thank you very much for that call. I appreciate it. Thank you for all who interacted. Pastor, I've got one final question for you. In the case of treason, is it acceptable from a biblical worldview to practice the death penalty? Well, again, let me just put it this way. The government has been given delegated authority. Uh, treason is the betrayal of a country. It can lead to uh, mass murder. It can lead to many people being killed. I think in a case like that, I think the government um, has that right. Jessica has right to exercise mercy. I think in this case, it has right to execute if it deems necessary. Thanks for joining us. Be sure you tune in next week. We'll be discussing the topic of media bias, how we can be aware of it, and how we should guard against it as we live our Christian lives. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, if you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.